0: Panorama Ville is a typical Filipino subdivision composed of several blocks of houses in Santa Rosa, Laguna. One Saturday in 1995, the usually quiet neighborhood was disturbed by the discovery of an entire family murdered inside their own home. You're listening to Stories After Dark, a Philippine true crime and mystery podcast powered by Anchor and released exclusively on Spotify. This is the story of the Payumo Massacre, a case that had a controversial trial, as the verdict relied heavily on the eyewitness testimony of the tragedy's lone survivor, 11-year-old Helen Grace, Sweet Payumo. Listener discretion is advised due to the graphic and sensitive nature of this story. It was around 4 a.m. on September 9, 1995, and the Payumo family members were asleep at their house in Panoramaville, Santa Rosa, Laguna. 11-year-old Helen Grace Payumo, or Sweet, and 15-year-old Maria Angela, or Ma'an, who were sharing a room were awakened by a noise coming from the living area. When they heard the scream of their 17-year-old sister, Joanna Rose, Ma'an, despite Sweet's protests, went out of the room to check what happened. Sweet followed a while later and was shocked to discover the reason for her eldest sister's scream. Three men had entered the house and had bound all of the girls in the household. Sweet's 13-year-old brother, John Anton, was lying face down near the TV set with his hands being tied by one of the men. Ma'an was lying on the floor by the dining table, Joanna Rose was lying on the living room sofa, and their mother Nancy was lying beside the bathroom door. Both Joanna Rose and Nancy were blindfolded and gagged, with the other two men standing guard beside each of them. When the man tying John Anton's hand saw Sweet, he grabbed her and proceeded to tie her up, place a blindfold over her eyes, and gag her. The three men went to the master's bedroom and came out minutes later, with two of them dragging Nancy and the girls to the master's bedroom, leaving John and Don in the living room with a third man. Unknown to the intruders, Sweet's blindfold had been loosely tied, and it had slipped away while she was being dragged into the master's bedroom. Though the lights inside were off, light from a street lamp outside shone through the window so Sweet was able to observe her surroundings. The man who captured Sweet came in and started stabbing Sweet's mother Nancy with a knife. While the man then did the same to Joanna Rose and Ma'an, Sweet heard John Anton screaming in pain outside and resisting the man attacking him. Then finally it was Sweet's turn. The same man who stabbed her mother and sisters hit Sweet with a piece of wood on her face and legs. He then stabbed her on the neck and waist just above the hip bone. At around the same time that all of this was happening, Ellen Marges, who lived next door, had heard the faint voice of a woman crying out from the Payuma residence, quote, Juskopo, end quote. But she didn't hear the voice again afterward. Later, at about 10 a.m., Ellen's daughter Ma'ai, who was on her way to St. Anne's school, dropped by the Payumos, knocking and shouting for her schoolmate suite at the front door. Ma'ai went on her way to school when she didn't get a response. Several times later, Ellen called for Nancy but she also got no answer at the door. The first two times were with Ellen's El Shaddai sister. The third time was with another one of Nancy's friends, Neddy Banag. The fourth time was when Ellen and Neddy fetched another friend, Concepcion Connie Salazar. When nobody opened the door at the Payuma residence, Connie pushed open one of the windows of the master's bedroom. Parting the curtain, she thought that the Payumos inside were just asleep. But when none of them got up to open the front door, Ellen, Neddy, and Connie called the Panorama Ville Homeowners Association president, Willie Candelario, who had the roof of the Payuma residence scaled so the front door could be opened. Connie and Willie saw the bloody scene inside the house and it dawned on Connie that the figures she thought were asleep in the master's bedroom were actually the bound, bloodied, and lifeless bodies of Joanna Rose on the bed, as well as Ma'an and Nancy on the cement floor. Sweet was sitting on the floor and leaning on the wall and corner of a cabinet. Although bound and bloodied, she was fortunately still alive, so she was rushed to the St. James Hospital nearby. Everyone in the Payuma family was confirmed to have been killed, except for Sweet who miraculously survived the attack and her father Angelito who had been separated from his wife Nancy for several months. The autopsy revealed that the victims died of multiple stab wounds, 11 on Nancy, 22 on Joanna Rose, 29 on Ma'an, and 15 on John Anton. They were also believed to have been struck in their faces and heads by a wooden rifle replica like the ones used in high school military training. This was apparent in the fracture man head on the base of her skull. While Sweet was confined in the hospital under tight security, Laguna police immediately began their investigation the day after the massacre. They recovered the knife, t-shirt, and sweatshirt from the scene of the crime, but because there was no money, jewelry, or other valuables missing from the Payuma residence, robbery was quickly ruled out as a motive. Police's initial theory was that the killings had been committed by people who knew the Payumo daughters. According to neighbors, there was an acquaintance party in the village on September 8, the day before the massacre. The Payumo girls were in attendance and one of them reportedly turned down an alleged drug addict's invitation to dance. Police Chief Superintendent Santiago Alino ordered Laguna Police to intensify the search for the suspects in what the media dubbed as the Payumo Massacre. On September 13, 1995, police brought in for questioning a man named Francisco Kiet Lapis. And three days later, a tip from an unnamed informant led police to do the same to his brother, Danilo Lapis. On September 17, Edmund Delmo and Maximo Delmo, unrelated to each other, were separately brought in for questioning. The following day on September 18, Danilo Lapis made an extrajudicial confession identifying the two Delmos and his elder brother Kit Lapis as the culprits. On September 19, police filed complaints for murder and frustrated murder against the three. When Danilo refused to turn state witness, the complaints were amended to include him as well. On September 25, Danilo retracted his extrajudicial confession before municipal trial court judge Estanislao Belan, claiming that he had been tortured by the police into producing his confession. That same day, Sweet recovered from her coma at the Makati Medical Center, and she was declared fit by her doctors to be questioned by investigators. She identified three teenagers named Jesse, Jojo Ramos. Alan Cruzata and Bernabe Ibañez as the ones responsible for the massacre. She picked out their photos from 38 that investigators showed her, and she executed a sworn statement reciting their criminal acts in detail. The following day on September 26, Judge Bilan interviewed Sweet at the hospital, and based on her narrative, he amended the criminal complaints to include Ramos, Cruzata, and Ibañez as suspects. On October 27, Judge Belan issued a resolution finding probable cause against the six accused, excluding Danilo Lapis. The provincial prosecutor of Laguna then formed a panel of prosecutors to go over Belan's findings, and on November 22, the panel ordered a reinvestigation of the case. On January 18, 1996, four months after the Payumo massacre, Sweet surprised everyone when she executed another sworn statement, retracting her accusations against the 3 teenagers Ramos, Cruzata, and Ibañez, and instead naming Maximo Delmo, Edmund Delmo, and Francisco Kit Lapis as the perpetrators of the crime. Sweet claimed to have been confused and fearful for her life when she made her first statement, and that she was afraid her father Angelito might be implicated as Maximo Delmo was her father's friend, known to her as Tito Imoy. The charges against the three teenagers were dismissed by the review panel on February 27, and the filing of multiple murder and frustrated murder charges were ordered against the two Delmos and both Maximo and Danilo Lapis. The four suspects pleaded not guilty to the charges. During the trial, they claimed to have just been fall guys framed by the investigators and prosecutors. Maximo Delmo testified that he was at home at the time of the massacre, that he helped the NBI and police during their investigation in the afternoon of September 9, the day the bodies of the victims were discovered, and that he even assisted the Payuma family up to the time of the burial. Maximo's alibi was corroborated by his wife Evangeline and their helper Sheila Ramos. According to Evangeline, Maximo was at their house in Panoramaville subdivision from 8pm of September 8 until after 7am of September 9 when he left for their store in Cabuyao, Laguna. Edmund Delmo, meanwhile, claimed that he was playing Mahjong at the house of a certain Celing at Barangay Tita in Santa Rosa, Laguna, between 12 midnight and 6 am of September 9. He presented fellow Mahjong player Venancio Reyes Reformo to corroborate his story. Francisco Kit Lapis testified that he was at home at the time of the crime, that he was arrested without a warrant, and that he was charged because he didn't cooperate with the authorities. He presented his wife Rosie Lapis and a carpenter by the name of Florencio P. Reyes to corroborate his alibi. According to Reyes, he had been hired by Kit to remove a wall and construct an additional room in his house and the two of them were together inside Kit's house from the night of September 8 until the following morning. This was corroborated by Kit's wife Rosie who came home at around 5am on September 9 having borrowed money from her sister in Pasig, and she found both men asleep, Kit on their living room sofa, and Reyes in the new room being constructed. With regard to Danilo Lapis, he claimed to be working at San Miguel Foods at the time of the crime, as corroborated by his time card and his foreman, Dante Esporlas. He further alleged that on September 16, 1995, he was taken at gunpoint by seven men without a warrant of arrest and brought to a safe house somewhere in San Antonio, Santa Rosa, Laguna. He was interrogated without the assistance of legal counsel and was subjected to undue pressure and violence. He only knew of his brother, Kit, but not his co-accused, the Delmos. Danilo claimed to only come to know Edmund Delmo at the police headquarters in Cabuyao Laguna and Maximo Delmo at Camp Vicente Lim in Canlubang Laguna. According to Danilo, it was there in Camp Vicente Lim that he was ordered to pinpoint Maximo Delmo as one of the perpetrators. Danilo was the last to sign an alleged confession that he never read and with no assistance from a council of his own choosing. State prosecutor Lamberto De Vera and attorney Demetrio Hilberto had even signed the confession ahead of him. Despite all of these alibis, which were corroborated by other people, the Regional Trial Court of Binyan Laguna, Branch 24, found the prosecution's evidence, which relied heavily on Sweet Payumo's testimony, enough to establish with moral certainty the guilt of all the accused and convicted them of the charges. On March 20, 1997, more than a year and a half after the massacre, Maximo Delmo, Francisco Kit Lapis, and Edmund Delmo were found guilty beyond reason doubt as principles in four counts of murder and one count of frustrated murder that was committed, quote, with cruelty and treachery and taking advantage of superior strength, end quote. As capital punishment was still legal in the Philippines back then, they were given the death sentence for the murder charges and reclusión perpetua or maximum of 40 years in prison for the frustrated murder charge. They were also ordered to pay civil indemnity and actual damages to Sweet and the heirs of her dead family members. Danilo Lapis, meanwhile, was found guilty beyond reasonable doubt as an accomplice in the same crimes. He was sentenced to reclusión perpetua for the murder charges and 6 to 12 years of reclusión temporal for the frustrated murder charge. And he was also ordered to pay actual damages jointly with his co-accused. The four accused men appealed the RTC's decision, contending in particular the credibility of the lone eyewitness, Sweet Bayumo, There was also the issue of the admissibility of Danilo Lapis' extrajudicial confession, the sufficiency of the prosecution's evidence to convict the four men, and the propriety of the penalties imposed by the court on the accused. On Sweet's credibility, the appellants questioned her inexplicable change in story from when she initially identified the three teenagers, Ramos, Cruzata, and Ibañez, from the photo lineup. But the Office of the Solicitor General, or OSG, countered that 11-year-old Sweet who had just woken up from a 10-day coma was still weak Traumatized and grieving. She was also confused as to why her father's very good friend Maximo Delmo, her Tito Imoy, would do such things to their family. She was also afraid that her father would get angry that she pointed to Maximo as the perpetrator, and that Maximo and the other men would get back at her to complete the job. According to the court transcript, quote, Fear for one's life is a valid explanation for a witness's failure to immediately identify the culprits, but such failure does not necessarily impair the credibility of her testimony in open court." The appellants maintained that Sweet could not have recognized them in a house that she herself had testified to be devoid of lighting, corroborated by the testimony of Panoramaville Homeowners Association President Willie Candelario, who was one of the first to discover the bodies. According to Candelario, the main light switch was turned off inside the house and there were curtains covering the windows of the master's bedroom. There was a street lamp outside that could have illuminated the room, but it was around 49 feet or all. Almost 15 meters away, and it was also raining that time. The OSG pointed out, however, that according to an ocular inspection conducted by the regional trial court, the street lamp outside combined with light from the fluorescent bulb which was switched on at the back of the Payumo house near the kitchen were enough for purposes of identification. The appellants then contended Sweet's story about her blindfold being loose as her explanation for recognizing the men. When this was replicated during the trial by having Sweet wear a blindfold of the exact same dimensions, according to her prior testimony, she was unable to identify even one of the three persons presented to her. But the OSG countered that this was entirely beside the point, as Swede had already identified the appellants when she came out of her bedroom to find her sisters, right before she was even blindfolded. While it was understandable, however, that Sweet could easily recognize Maximo Delmo, the appellants disputed Sweet's identification of Edmund Delmo and Kit Lapis, who were supposedly with Maximo during the incident. Sweet had pointed to Kit Lapis as the one who stabbed her, her mother and her two sisters, and she had also described him as, quote, Medyo mataba, medyo maitim, may bigote at kolotang buhok, end quote. She described Edmund on the other hand as, quote, Matangkad na payat, maitim at may bigote, end quote. Neither of these descriptions matched Kit and Edmund's actual appearance, but the court attributed this to both men purposely changing their looks, perhaps upon legal advice. According to the court transcript, both of them had shaved their facial hair, and Edmund had gained weight and appeared even bigger than Kit. They would have also been seen by Sweet as dark-skinned during the time of the incident, as it wasn't well-lit inside the house. Kit further disputed Sweet's claim that it was impossible for her to forget his face because of his eyes as she was gazing at them while he repeatedly stabbed her and her family. Kit questioned how the girl couldn't recall his more prominent features such as his facial notes if she had truly looked directly at his face while he was supposedly stabbing her. The appellants also pointed out inconsistencies in Sweet's statements about the positions of everyone inside the house, as well as their various states of being bound, gagged, and blindfolded. All of these, however, were again attributed to the house being dimly lit and Sweet being fearful for her life at the time of the incident. The Supreme Court declared that she underwent rigorous questioning by four defense lawyers, and it was understandable that she had minor inconsistencies in her answers, especially since they didn't pertain in any way to facts crucial to the guilt or innocence of the accused. On the second major point of the appeal, which was the admissibility of Danilo Lapis’s extrajudicial confession, the court transcript said that, quote, there was no showing whatsoever of any compulsion or duress on the person of Danilo while he was giving his confession. As to the legality of his arrest, having failed to timely raise this issue, it cannot now be entertained on appeal, end quote. The Supreme Court found, however, that though Danilo had counsel in the form of attorney Demetrio Hilbero, Danilo's right to competent and independent counsel was not properly met. Hilbero's services were only offered by the Philippine National Police two days after custodial investigation had begun, just when he was about to put his confession in writing. Danilo's confession was therefore deemed inadmissible not only against him but his co-appellants as well. On the third major point of the appeal, which was the sufficiency of the prosecution's evidence to support the convictions, the appellants claimed that with Danilo Lapis's extrajudicial confession discarded, Sweet's testimony, which, they insisted, was unreliable to begin with, had no leg to stand on. They added that the prosecution failed in showing what the motive of the appellants were for the massacre, and that them not going into hiding reinforced their innocence. The OSG, however, still gave way to Danilo's extrajudicial confession, saying that it could still be treated as, quote, verbal admission established through the testimonies of the persons who conducted the investigation or who heard the admission, end quote. They also reiterated that Sweet's positive identification of the appellants in open court, coupled with her vivid narration of the incident, quote, "...clearly established the corpus delicti of the crime." End quote. With regard to the alibis of the appellants, the Supreme Court deemed that they were either in the neighborhood or just a few minutes away, still within the province of Laguna, and it was still possible for each of them to be present at the time and place of the crime. The fact that they stayed in the village and not flee was deemed as lacking merit, because according to the court, while flight can be considered evidence of guilt, staying put is not necessarily proof of innocence." With regard to the motive of the appellants, the Supreme Court declared that, quote, "...motive is a key element only when establishing guilt through circumstantial evidence or when the identification of the accused is extremely tenuous." Motive is not an element of a crime and need not be proved to produce a conviction. Crimes have been committed by persons who appear to have no reason therefor, but as long as they have been clearly identified as the offenders, they ought to be held liable. Where the commission of the crime has been proved and the accused were convincingly identified by the surviving victim, motive becomes irrelevant." End quote. With regard to conspiracy among the appellants, Sweet's testimony proved that there was commonality of purpose in action which was to accomplish the crime of murdering the entire Payuma family so, quote, conspiracy may be inferred, though no actual meeting among them to concert means is proved. Where there is conspiracy, the act of one is deemed the act of all, end quote. Finally, on the fourth major point of the appeal, which was on the penalty imposed, the Supreme Court maintained that the qualifying circumstances of treachery and abuse of superiority were present because the victims were bound and defenseless, while the perpetrators were armed and superior in number. The Supreme Court, however, said that the Regional Trial Court erred in treating the use of superior strength as aggravating circumstance and in considering the multiple stab wounds on the victims as cruelty. According to Article 63 of the Revised Penal Code, without any aggravating or mitigating circumstances, the penalty of reclusion perpetua or a maximum of 40 years in prison must be imposed against the appellants for each count of murder. And according to Article 50 of the Revised Penal Code, the penalty for the frustrated murder charge against the appellants should be the next lower in degree than that prescribed by law for the consummated penalty." All of these considered, the Supreme Court, through the ruling of Justice Leonardo Kisumbing, affirmed the convictions of Maximo Delmo, Edmund Delmo, and Francisco Quietlapis in four counts of murder, but the corresponding sentence was modified from the death penalty to reclusión perpetua on each count. The convictions of the three in one count of frustrated murder were also affirmed, but the corresponding sentence was modified from reclusión perpetua to an indeterminate penalty of prisión mayor to reclusión temporal or 8 to 14 years in prison. Meanwhile, Danilo Lapis was acquitted due to reasonable doubt. A suite didn't identify him in open court as one of the culprits, and according to the Supreme Court, prosecutors failed to convince the tribunal of his liability. In 2014, Helen Grace Sweet Payumo was interviewed on the TV show Soko, or Scene of the Crime Operatives. Then 30 years old, she said that though it had been a long time since the massacre, she could never forget what happened. She added that during the incident, she was told by her captor, "...kailangan namin tong gawin sa inyo kasi may kasalanan ang daddy niyo Meaning, the men were taking revenge on Sweet's father, Angelito. Sweet thought she was actually going to die, but miraculously she survived, which led to the conviction of her family's murderers, as controversial as the verdict was. Thank you for listening to Stories After Dark, a Spotify exclusive powered by Anchor. This episode was written, narrated, and produced by me, Derek. Music is by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com Stay tuned for a new episode, and to make sure you're updated about the show, please follow Stories After Dark on your Spotify app as well as on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you'd like to see the references used for this episode, suggest cases, send personal stories, or further support the show, you can go to storiesafterdark.ph for more information. All of the links are in the episode description.